Dative, Integrative and Preventive Healthcare. The content discussed in this episode is for informative purposes only and should not be replaced by individualized professional consultations or professional medical advice. Hey guys, I'm Tasha. Hey listeners, this is Guni. And we're here to discuss lifestyle medicine. I'm that person who's going to be picking the overpriced kombucha over mimosa or one of these lattes, those fancy lattes. And let's be honest, even though I pick it, I know it's not tasty. Listen, I am guilty as charged when it comes to overpriced hipster kombucha. <laughs> you know, in my old like CrossFit gym, they used to sell them. And I'm like, yeah, I want to be in alignment with the branding of this place. So let me buy the kombucha that costs like 16 bucks. And I'm mm. just like, oh, this is so like acidic. I don't know how I'm going to finish this, but I already paid for it. So I got to finish, guzzle it down. <laughs> uh, but it's kind of commonly known for gut flora. Yeah, well, this is, this is the thing. Like, I know it's meant to be good, but obviously mm. when it's acidic, I'm just like, oh, I remember the feeling of taking like uh, apple cider vinegar. I'm like, oh, this must be good for you because it doesn't <laughs> taste that great. So it must be great for your body. But I think that we need to bust this myth if it is a myth. Yeah, I, I definitely want to get to the root of the, the this buzz drink and I guess understand like fermented foods as a whole. Like, how is it good for us? It really ties in with the person we want to speak to today, mm-hmm. um, yep. which is Elle Fox. She is a naturopath, an author, a researcher with a background in medicine and also a lecturer with 30 years of experience treating people with gastrointestinal and behavioral challenges. She's also very passionate about locally grown food and regenerative farming. So welcome to Dot of the Podcast, Elle. We are excited to dive into this conversation today. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So welcome, welcome, Elle. So I'm wondering, enlighten us, what are fermented foods? Well, fermented foods and drinks are as old as the hills, who have been subjected to what I would call a controlled microbial breakdown. So basically, food has been encouraged to grow specific kinds of bacteria and yeast. They've been in in the human diet forever. And also, if you look at traditional cultures, places like Korea, for example, where kimchi is a a national dish. Uh, Noni is a a, a fruit, a Hawaiian fruit, which um, is fermented as as a herbal. Beetroot kvass is a Ukrainian dish. And... um, If we go back in time, the central Russian steppe people survived, survived and thrived on a diet of what is called kumis, which is fermented mare's milk. Mm. And it is uh, described as champagne mixed with sour cream. Interesting. Yeah. Not sure if I like it. It is an acquired taste. Fermented foods are an acquired taste. But I will give you some fermented foods that we all eat and drink. So. Uh, sour cream is fermented, yogurt is fermented, sourdough bread is a product of fermentation, um, wine, beer, mead, yes, sauerkraut and kimchi, who have be- which have become buzzwords. Are they all healthy though? Define healthy. See, this is why we're having this conversation and because we've come to a point where we conclude that kombuchas and these kimchis, etc. are healthy foods. Too much of a good thing is not a good thing. I had a friend who got a jar of kimchi and she sat and ate half a kilogram of kimchi in one go because she loves it so much. Yeah, probably like, do it uh, if I had yeah, rice with it. Yeah, <laughs> I, love, I love kimchi. Okay, sorry. So we interrupted you. What was the risk here of, of your friend 
having this half a kilogram of kimchi. Um, she had a few trips to the loo. There was no long-term Oh, yeah, that's room. right. Okay, so it was just a case of a bit like having too much of, of anything, to be honest. If you have too much alcohol, you will either vomit or you will have diarrhea mm. or a combination of. I know you said there's no good or bad, but then there are foods that we eat, like, uh, you know, sourdough bread, and then also in wine and beer. So mm -hmm. these foods, they're known to not be great for you. Mm -hmm. There are studies that say, you know, too much alcohol is not good for you, right? And so, because the process is the same. So what, how do we differentiate that it's something we should take or not? And okay, whether it's good for a, you? It's not the same process because commercial wines are nothing like what we would call a natural wine. A natural wine still contains the microbial cultures. So it can be cloudy for example, and it very likely does not contain sulfites and preservatives and all sorts of other things which are detrimental to our gut. There's a difference between having a glass of natural wine to increase your variety of drinks and getting, you know, entirely drunk on anything. Basically saying, yeah, go on, have your drink, as long as you do it in moderation. Um, I have taken quite a few people off alcohol. Mm -hmm people who were addicted to alcohol I mean yeah again so you're on another spectrum of your relationship with that yes that so how do you take somebody off an addiction like that which can mm -hmm. be extremely detrimental to their health right first of all you don't say right you're going dry some people can do that please don't get me wrong mm -hmm. but the majority of people cannot withdraw from an addiction right. that has been going on for a while so what I suggest first of all to those people is Find the best quality wine you can you can buy, ideally biodynamic, because that is the best possible uh, quality that you can find. And then have a glass and enjoy every minute of it. Because as far as I'm concerned, addiction is one tenth and the nine tenths are the guilt right that we heap on top of it. Mm -hmm. So being present as you drink and just yeah. enjoy that drink and. Mm -hmm. the guilt of it the mindset around it as well that mm -hmm. affects how you process it right yeah yeah coming back to the benefits of fermented foods mm -hmm. can you shed some light to why is it so popularized now and become mainstream that you know we have to have more probiotics more fermented foods in our diet okay well fermentation is a process of preserving food so that it doesn't spoil without refrigeration so if you look at traditional cultures, uh, unless you lived somewhere up in the Arctic, you didn't have ice or low enough temperatures to preserve food. So cheese is a result of fermentation. Mm, right. So it's a preservation method by encouraging certain groups of bacteria and yeasts to proliferate. And as a result, they do not allow pathogenic or what we would call bad bacteria. So for example, E. coli which we have come to fear, it exists in a healthy gut. It's the number of E. coli which can become pathogenic, which is why I try mm. to avoid saying good, bad. It's pathogenic right. or beneficial. There is also increasing research that fermented foods have a variety of benefits, including increasing the amount of the nutrients that we can take from the food. Uh, and increasing the nutrition and content of food. So if you ferment mm. cabbage into sauerkraut, you increase the uh, amount of vitamin C by 10 times. And because of refrigeration and certain other modern preservation methods, which include preservatives, chemicals, 
we have become sanitized. Our gut bacteria have reduced in numbers. Now we have got trillions and trillions of microorganisms in our gut. And there is research to show that on top of the fact that we've got trillions of microorganisms in our gut and they contain yeasts, viruses, um, all sorts of, of things, uh, lactobacilli and bifidobacteria, certain bacterial strains mm -hmm. that come from fermentation um, have a beneficial result if they're given to babies with eczema. Some of this research has been done with the strains of bacteria themselves, not fermented foods necessarily. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm wondering, are fermented foods suitable for children? Is it maybe too aggressive for their, their gut lining? Um, basically, can their stomach take it? Um, well, fermented foods are not aggressive to the gut lining. What fermented foods do is they increase our ability to, to digest food and, and take nutrients. There is a term in uh, medicine called bioavailability. So mm -hmm. that is the ability of our body. It's not what we eat, it's what we absorb from the food we eat. And there is a whole load of reasons why we would absorb less of something or, or more of something else. Mm. And if we agree that we start on the same baseline, which is good, locally produced, freshly prepared food, then how we absorb that food is entirely dependent on how healthy our gut is. And mm. after so many years of antibiotics and other medical interventions, we have got compromised guts. I mean, if we just look at the hygiene hypothesis that says that, you know, we're too sanitized and we haven't got enough bacteria around us uh, and mm. in us, and that's why we have allergies. And well, then you see that children who suffer with allergies and food intolerances and things like that actually need fermented foods. The caveat I would put here is that if children have not been exposed to fermented foods, they need to be introduced very slowly because otherwise they will throw a reaction like with anything. So a short, short answer, fermented foods are suitable for children. Yeah. Do you have any examples with, with your clients of kind of the effects and benefits of it? Yes, I do. Um, my whole practice is revolved, revolving around supporting people's gastrointestinal problems and the associated behavioral issues. Um, and that is from babies all the way to older people because we all eat we all need to eat and we all need to have a functional gut to be able to eat and absorb our food properly and our moods are, are very much affected i mean uh, recently there, there have been papers that say that um, chronic fatigue is not a mental issue it is a gastrointestinal issue you said behavioral issues hmm. um could you clarify so for example um we see some children that appear to be shy, um, particularly if children have got significant spectrum Autism issues. Autism or being on the spectrum, yeah. Yeah, we say that they do not engage socially. One of the issues that um, you see in behaviours like that is that they will hide. They will look at you out of the corner of their eye rather than face on. And that is considered a mental and, and emotional challenge that those children cannot socialize enough. But there's been research that shows if you supplement children like that with vitamin A, they will, um, I think it's a very, very high percentage, almost like 50%, the behavior will diminish and the children will be able to engage face on. Now, one of the issues we have with vitamin A is a substance which 
helps the integrity and health of the eye tissue. It's paramount. So you mm. have things like carotenoids, carrots, you know, traditionally we talk about carrots, you yeah. know, eat carrots because they help your vision. Mm -hmm. I heard yeah. that. Um, so we've got substances in carrots, what we call pro-vitamin A. So we supplement with vitamin A and the child's behavior changes. Now we, we, have, we have made a nutritional intervention that changes the behavior. What is has been found is that a lot of those children, their eye tissue is not healthy enough and you, you supplement with a substance which supports the eye tissue, then the eye tissue starts functioning better. So the behavior changes. Interesting. Yes, that's just yeah, can you find vitamin A in fermented foods? Yes. Fermented cod liver oil, for example, is, is a fish oils are very high in vitamin A, D. Mm -hmm. Sourdough bread would probably be high in vitamin E because um, wheat germ is very high in vitamin E. I'll give you another mm -hmm. example. You, you've got people that are gluten, have to be gluten-free. I am sensitive to gluten and dairy, but I'm happy drinking raw milk that has not been pasteurized. And I'm very happily eat sourdough bread because the microorganisms that are in the starter, the sourdough starter, digest a lot of the gluten in the dough. So there is very little gluten left at the end of the process. Um, a traditional bread would take between 24 and 48 hours from the moment mm. you start kneading to the, eating it. Uh, do you know how long it takes for supermarket bread from the moment it's milled to the, the hitting the shelf? Tell us. Two, two and a half hours. Yeah. So there's there's no time. There is a it's called Chorleywood method. It's a method that was actually um, invented by the British in Chorleywood, hence the name and was exported to the rest of the world. And it's a specific strains of bacteria that very quickly make the bread rise. It's a particular type of yeast um, combination, bacteria and yeasts. So there's no time for the, the proper traditional microorganisms to help the uh, gluten go uh, be eaten by them that takes that longer period. So how do you know the quality of your yeast is actually the good kind of quality? Because now there's a lot of... Um manufactured yeast right so you can actually make your own sourdough starter at home with flour and water that's all you need what happens is remember the when we said at the beginning that a fermentation is a controlled process so what we do is we want to encourage the bacteria and yeasts we want into the ferment and not the pathogenic ones so when you mix flour and water and you leave it on the counter at the side of your kitchen the idea is that you encourage the natural microorganisms that are in the environment to come in and take set up home in your sourdough starter. And that's that's what happens in a, in a clean environment. When I say clean, I mean, you know, a home that has hasn't got molds and is aired properly and is doesn't is not near a main road. And if you've got a reasonably healthy home environment, you will develop a healthy sourdough starter. And then you can use that to make bread. I never really like realized that actually, you know, as you're getting your bread to ferment or, or get those yeast up, that you're also inviting the chemicals in the air to, to be hosted there. Everything that comes from the, the the floor of the woods, which is forever in fermentations. Mushrooms are a, a result of fermentation and they produce fermentation themselves. And there is a particular 
micro, my, um, bacterium found in nature called Mycobacterium vacca, which produces positive feelings, which is researchers have found that if you take a 20 minute walk in nature because you breathe these bacteria in they produce a positive feeling in you so what we are seeing is that the microbial world affects our moods so it will affect our behavior oh, wow, that's and there is enough evidence to show that this is true mm -hmm. earlier you were saying that the there's a term you use, I can't remember it right now, bio something, basically. Bioavailability. Bioavailability. So do you, are, you, are you saying that with fermented foods, uh, you're, in, you're creating a, be a better and more healthy gut uh, bacteria in your body? And so mm -hmm. does that mean that when that is happening, whatever nutri nutrients from foods that you eat is absorbed better and you're able to digest and like actually get the most out of it? Absolutely. I will give you um, a funny a slightly funny example. Um, my husband uh, used to work up in Canary Wharf. And at lunchtime, um, occasionally, if he didn't pack lunch from home, he because he likes falafels, there was a little um, pop-up that made falafels. So he would have falafels. I always knew when he had falafels because he became rather windy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. If he has my falafels, he's never windy. But my falafels are made with chickpea flour, which has been fermented. Mm. Well, chickpeas have been fermented, and then the flour is made from the chickpeas, which have been fermented. So they, they, they have been almost pre-digested for him, so they have been made more available because right. gas in the intestines means that the food is sitting there fermenting because the intestine is not able to take... as. Our gut is designed to take as much nutrition out of the food we eat as possible. Mm. And it's true that you see the difference of windiness. <laughs> You're taking the, the chickpeas from the can or when you make that, when you let them sit into water for a day or two. So it's like really, it really changes a lot of how, how you process your food before cooking it, even before eating it. It's Absolutely. everything, every, it's everything in the detail, right? Mm -hmm. And I tell you, I let I, I'm not suggesting this to people who are just starting now with fermentation. I ferment my chickpeas for a week in milk kefir. Oh, wow. wow. OK. That's I, as I said, I do not suggest anyone does this unless they know what they're doing. OK. Right. But uh, a day or two in if you take chickpeas from dry and you put them in a big bowl of mm -hmm. purified water, you can use another ferment like kombucha or kefir, whether it's milk or water, right? Uh, or apple cider vinegar. Mm -hmm. And you add that to the water and you let them sit in, the, in that water for one or two days. Um, and then you cook them. To circle back to our initial conversation about this overpriced kombuchas and <laughs> fancy brunch at hipster cafes, how can we make our own kombucha at home? Um, you need what is called the SCOBY. Now, SCOBY is an acronym. So it, it, it's the, the first letter of these words, which are symbiotic colony of bacteria and yeasts. So symbiotic means living in harmony. So a kombucha SCOBY is, looks like a pancake, a bit of a pancake. It's like a jellified pancake. Or you might have heard of it as a kombucha mushroom. Mm. Um, 
you can buy them or you can be gifted them uh, because they grow like topsy. And if uh, if I should have brought my 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 SCOBY hotel to show you how many (laughs) SCOBYs I have. So if you find somebody to gift you a healthy SCOBY, then you can literally feed it tea, sweet black tea. So that's your basic kombucha. By sweets, what do you mean? Bacteria and yeasts that we use for fermentation need to eat. Mm-hmm. So their food is usually sugars. And we've got two different types of fermentation and um, what we call aerobic fermentation. So it's open to the air, like we were talking about sourdough, you know, right, right. flour and water open to the elements kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, you put, you put a, like a muslin on top to stop dust and insects, but it is effectively, it's not sealed away from the environment. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's what we call aerobic fermentation. And that is what produces vinegar. Now, if you have what we call anaerobic fermentation, which means without air, what you do is you produce a sealed environment for a ferment. So this is how you make um, kimchi and sauerkraut. So you need the sugar because that's how you feed the SCOBY. So if you make the tea, the tannins in the tea and the sugar are eaten by the bacteria and the yeasts and you it produces this fizzy slightly fizzy slightly alcoholic um Mm. beverage and when i say alcoholic i mean we we talk about 0.04 of a percent so you make kombucha by making a nice pot of tea right and then plopping in the cold sweet tea a scoby and leaving it to ferment for a few days okay a few days are we talking three days are we talking a week depends on the size of the scoby and uh, whether it's your first fermentation or more than that so initially if you have a new scoby and you put it in in tea it will take more days to kickstart the fermentation the other thing that you have to take into consideration is the time of year so spring and summer because obviously of the time of year but um, bacteria and yeasts are more they're able to be more active so you get a shorter fermentation time. Right. But does the solution continue fermenting once you're kind of done? Yes, in the it process? will continue ferment. It will, become, it will become very acidic, very vinegary. So there's like a best before type of thing, right? Well, it's not. No, it's just different. What happens is obviously, depending on the solution, um, the, the amount of sugar in the drink, you can have a sweeter kombucha which is a bit higher in sugar because the bacteria and the yeast have not eaten all of it. Uh Or you can have a a more acidic, a sharper kombucha. Some people prefer the sharper taste. Some people prefer the sweeter taste. And what you can do is afterwards, when you've got it to where you want it, as far as your tastes are concerned, you can take this kombucha and you can flavor it with berries or citrus. Uh, So you do what we call a second fermentation. That does not involve the SCOBY. The SCOBY has cannot have anything else in in the solution except the sugar and the uh, water, tea. Uh, the tea. Tea. Got you. Okay. That does require a full on course to actually know how to do your own kombucha. But that sparked enough interest for me to actually start looking into this. <laughs> it's not a cheap hobby. It's a good one. That's a good thing to mention. Like, how, how much yeah. are we talking about? Well, it depends. If you want to make um, normal kombucha. Uh, what I would suggest is that you have the best quality tea you can you can buy. So organic tea, 
pure water because they really don't like chlorine. And it, chlorine mm. is not the only thing that's in our tap water, but we want the right. that. So um, you need to have a filter that takes out chlorine and heavy metals and all sorts of other things. Mm. And then you need organic sugar. Right. Okay. So in some ways, but then you are in full control of what you're going to be drinking at the end. Exactly. Of it. it goes back to one of our conversation about, you know, being conscious in what you eat and, and having like full understanding of what is, what you're going to be putting in your system. The other thing that's important to keep in mind is that the load of microbes in your environment already. So people who have got black mold or damp find it very hard to produce a healthy ferment. I was going to say, like when you're talking about like it's not um, a cheap hobby to have, because first of all, you need to, as you said, filtered water, then your your sugar, the, the organic tea, and then you need to control your environment. You need to have space, I guess, as well. Uh, you need to have those jars. And so all of this kind of make you think twice before you actually go and do your own. But uh, I think that the very it's um because it's so empowering to be able to do your own because like you have a control over, you have a, an understanding of what you're putting in your system and you have like, okay, so if this is not good for drinking, you can use it for something else. So it's mm -hmm. like, it has, it's a multiple multi-purpose um, function. So again, you're just empowering your day-to-day -day, uh, nutrition, nutrition skills. Yeah. And the scope is because they grow, they will grow. Mm. Um, um, so what you can do with the scobies is you can take the old scobies out and you can dehydrate them and turn them into jelly bits of, right. you know, can cut them up and they can become probiotic jellies for children or adults. Oh. Or if yeah. you have chickens, you give them to your chickens. Have you ever seen a chicken going after a scoby? <laughs> right. But you're, yeah, you're, yeah, you're giving us so many multiple application of, and that's the beauty of it, of fermented food and how you can actually it's it's endless but i think that that is actually a good way for us to to close off as well because then people now can go and do their own research and figure out mm -hmm. what they want to venture into right so before we close off <laughs> uh we always have our uh, rapid fire questions so l um i'll go with the first question to get to know you better what is the first sign that you are out of balance the first sign that you're out of balance is i'm not often out of balance these days Lucky you, lucky you. <laughs> um, I tend to feel tired. That's my first sign of, oh, I haven't had enough water. You know, water is a big one. One of those coping mechanisms is water. Do you have a, another kind of magical trick to, to fight fatigue? Um, I use the, the remedies. There are flower remedies that I use. There is one called Dynamis. If I really need to power through something. Mm. Uh, it's a, a flower remedy a bit like you know rescue remedy if you like it's not made by that company um but it's one particular remedy that i use which is called dynamis mm -hmm. um or i will get up i will stop normally what i do is i put my timer on for one hour increments and when the timer goes i will get up if i'm plowing through research or something like that yeah. i will get up have, have a glass of water have a walk in the garden uh some sunshine and the other thing is walking barefoot on the grass for me mm. does it nice so i don't resort to coffee or um i i love a cup of coffee please don't get me wrong mm. um but it's i don't use them as crutches for right. my lack of energy 
I don't often have ups and downs, but that's because I eat well, I sleep well. Um, I'm very careful with my personal hygiene, if you like. And when I say hygiene, I mean, I'm not talking about cleanliness only. I'm talking about energy and yeah, yeah. your, your, your lifestyle, my lifestyle. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's a really good um, good way for people to to take away some tools to practice for themselves. <laughs> and the final question is, what is one book that has impacted your approach to well-being or wellness? So uh, I was given the Sandor Katz's book called Wild Fermentation as a Christmas present by my husband, you know. And I joked, I said, other girls get, get diamonds and I get the book. <laughs> but then I met... <laughs> I got the diamonds as well. Uh, <laughs> but then I met Sandor and um, had the training sessions with him. And I fell in love with a guy. He's amazing. Uh, and he is a living, breathing example of how wonderful fermentation can be and how it can support people. Because he is an AIDS uh, survivor and he firmly believes that fermented foods are what has, have kept him alive all these years. It's a book that I would recommend everyone buys if they want to get into fermentation. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Al, for, um, for being on the show. We truly, we truly believe that by empowering and, and triggering this thought process to, to our audience about, you know, rethinking the way they eat, the way they process their food, the, the way they even want to take ownership of, of it, right? So, so thank you for that. Thank you for inviting me. I had an absolute ball and I've, I, I'm, I'm fizzing. It's, you see, fermentation is, is bubbles. See? <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so, love thank it. Thank you, ladies. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Elle. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and select that follow or subscribe button. For now, stay safe and we'll see you next week.